Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Thursday, December 15th, 2022. Uh, this is going to be a big one, so let's get into it. Uh, on a couple of anniversaries here, on December 14th, 1911, Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen uh, and his team became the first human beings uh, that we know of, I guess, uh, to set foot on the South Pole. They had set out from base camp on October 19th and arrived back on January 25th, 1912. Uh, on December 14th, 1995, the Dayton Agreement ended the 1992-1995 Bosnian War. Uh, while ending that war was no minor feat, the agreement has had mixed at best results overall. Under Dayton's terms, the various warring parties, the Bosniaks, the Bosnian Croats, uh, and the Bosnian Serbs, agreed not to divide Bosnia and Herzegovina, but instead to establish an internal partition between the Serbian Republika Srpska and the Croatian Bosniak Federation of Bosnia. And Herzegovina. The effect has been similar to a full partition or argu arguably worse because instead of two functioning states or one had the Serbian part uh, eventually united with Serbia, uh, what's emerged is one state uh, with uh, two component halves that never agree on anything and, and don't have a lot to do with one another, which leaves most of the governance up to the high representative for Bosnia and Herzegovina, who is selected by Dayton's Peace Implementation Council rather than by the Bosnian people and is basically the final political authority and is imposed as almost a viceroy uh, on Bosnia from abroad. Uh, on December 15th, 1256, having already received the surrender of the last assassin imam, Ruknadin Khorshah, uh, Mongolian warlord Hulagu and his army entered and destroyed the main assassin castle at Alamut in Iran, uh, completing their campaign against that somewhat infamous uh, religious order. Uh, and on December 15th, 1925, Reza Pahlavi was crowned Shah of Iran. Uh, he had, of course, uh, led a coup in 1921 to overthrow the Qajars, who were the ruling dynasty of Iran, uh, but had not at that time uh, taken uh, his place as even prime minister. There was a, another man who uh, took over as prime minister, but Reza Shah was the military leader, not just of the coup, but then he appointed himself sort of commander-in-chief of the army. He was clearly the most powerful man in uh, Iran. Uh, he spent the next few years kind of meandering around, uh, putting down local rebellions before making himself prime minister, finally kind of, uh, you know, adding that uh, title to the rest of his uh, titles. And then finally, uh, after the Qajar Shah, Ahmed Shah, uh, had fled the country and was basically, you know, uh, nowhere to be found, uh, asked the uh, Iranian majlis or the, the parliament to dissolve the Qajar line and make him Shah of Iran, which it agreed to do. Uh, and uh, as far as I know, we all lived happily ever after. I don't know if there's uh, any anything bad that's happened since then. Uh, somebody will have to clue me in. Uh, moving on to the news in the Middle East, uh, in Syria, uh, there's a piece in Al Monitor from Fahim Tashtekin. Uh, I'm not going to read any of it to you, but it sort of summarizes where things stand in terms of the Turkish potential Turkish invasion of northern Syria. Uh, this is all stuff that we've covered in the newsletter before, but I think it's helpful to have it kind of laid out in, in one place. Um, as we've said, uh, basically where things stand is the Turks are ready to invade. To uh, there, there are three parts of northern Syria that are controlled by the Kurds that the Turks want to 
take for themselves or drive the Kurds out of, at least. Uh, the United States and Russia are both pressuring Turkey not to invade. Uh, that has forestalled an invasion to this point. There is a Russian-led effort uh, in, effect, in you know, taking place now to uh, effectively replace the Kurds along the border in these regions that, that are so objectionable to Turkey with regular Syrian army, which should um, uh, sort of uh, ease uh, the Turks' concerns. And, and as long as that's going on, as long as the Russians and the U.S. Uh, continue to uh, kind of object, uh, the Turks may hold off. Uh, speaking of Turkey, in Turkey, thousands of people reportedly turned out in Istanbul on Thursday to protest the conviction and sentencing of Mayor Ekrem Imamoglu for supposedly insulting members of Turkey's Supreme Electoral Council. We covered this uh, in Wednesday's newsletter. Uh, Imamoglu's sentence uh, included 31 months in prison and a ban on holding political office, which will presumably necessitate his removal as mayor and will certainly prevent him from running in next year's presidential election, in which it just so happens that he was probably the strongest potential challenger to incumbent Recep Tayyip Erdogan. This is all purely coincidental, I'm sure. Uh, Imamoglu's case has galvanized Turkey's many opposition parties, though assuming that the political ban holds, there's no obvious alternative to him uh, in terms of being able to lead a combined opposition into the election to try and unseat Erdogan. In Lebanon, one Irish soldier serving as a UN peacekeeper was shot and killed, and another critically critically wounded on Thursday after their vehicle was surrounded by what Irish Defense Minister Simon Coveney called a hostile mob in southern Lebanon. Uh, he suggested that Hezbollah was involved in the incident, which took place in the town of Al Akbia. Uh, but a senior Hezbollah official, Wafik Safa, uh, later described the shooting as an, quote, unintentional incident, end quote, uh, involving the peacekeepers and local residents of that town. He maintained uh, that Hezbollah had nothing to do with it. Uh, in Jordan, a Jordanian police officer was killed in the city of Ma'an on Thursday during protests sparked in part by high fuel prices. Four other officers were injured, and authorities do not appear to have any idea who was responsible. Protests over Jordan's weak economy have spread to multiple cities. They seem to be feeding off of uh, periodic strikes by cab drivers, again, over the cost of fuel uh, that's then sparking these wider uprisings. On to Asia in Pakistan. Another border clash between Afghan and Pakistani forces has left at least one person dead. According to Pakistani officials, their personnel were repairing part of a border fence uh, damaged by cross-border violence over the weekend when they came under attack from the Afghan side. There's no word on casualties on the Afghan side of the border, but the Pakistanis are reporting at least 12 people wounded in addition to the aforementioned death. Uh, in Myanmar and also Afghanistan, speaking of Afghanistan, uh, the Taliban-led government, along with Myanmar's military junta, were both denied representation at the United Nations on Thursday. The UN's Credentials Committee issued a report that recommended putting off a final decision on both uh, of their statuses. Uh, the committee similarly or punted on the question of which, if either, of Libya's two governments should have UN representation. Uh, granting any of these governments representation would amount to de facto recognition, and the committee clearly isn't prepared to take that step yet. Uh, the UN General Assembly will vote on whether, to, uh, whether or not to adopt the committee's rec recommendations on Friday. It would be surprising if it voted to reject them. 
In Vietnam, there is a new study based on satellite imagery. It's published by Reuters today. It suggests that Chinese-built dams uh, along the upper part of the Mekong River are bringing ruin, basically, to farmers downstream in Vietnam. Uh, the, the article says, uh, according to these satellite images, uh, just 15 years ago, Southeast Asia's longest river carried some 143 million tons of sediment, as heavy as about 430 Empire State buildings, through to the Mekong River Delta every year, dumping nutrients along riverbanks, essential to keeping tens of thousands of farms intact and productive. But as Chinese-built hydroelectric dams have mushroomed up river, much of that sediment is being blocked. Uh, this is based on an analysis by Germany-based aquatic remote sensing company EOMAP and Reuters. The analysis reinforces an estimate by the Mekong River Commission set up in 1995 by countries bordering the river that in 2020, only about a third of those riverborne soils would reach the Vietnamese floodplains. And at the current rate of decline, less than 5 million tons of sediment will be reaching the delta each year by 2040. And really, it's uh, apparently these farms are just kind of eroding uh, into the river uh, because they're not getting this uh, sediment to reinforce them. It's uh, uh, sounds like a very precarious situation. Uh, in China, a human rights organization called Safeguard Defenders is alleging that the Chinese government operates 102 secret police outposts in 53 countries around the world. Many of these are apparently in Europe, including 11 in Italy. That's the largest number in any single country. Uh, the group claims that personnel working in these outposts attempt to force Chinese nationals uh, who are wanted in China which safeguard defenders claims are usually political dissidents, uh, to return home basically where they'll face, uh, you know, face criminal charges or criminal justice. Beijing insists that these facilities are basically volunteer consular service providers set up to assist Chinese nationals abroad in keeping their paperwork current uh, related to disruptions caused by COVID. Uh, Safeguard Defenders is calling on the European Union to investigate the facilities and their activities. Uh, in North Korea, the North Korean government is claiming to have tested a, quote, high-thrust solid-fuel motor, end quote, for a, quote, new-type strategic weapon system, uh, end quote. Likely, this would be a more advanced solid-fueled intercontinental ballistic missile, maybe more maneuverable uh, or, you know, a little more powerful, uh, bigger range. I don't know. For all I know, they're building a real-life Death Star, though presumably if that's what it is, we'll, we'll notice at some point. Uh, on to Africa uh, in Libya. One of Libya's two prime ministers, Abdul Hamid Dabiba, uh, admitted on Thursday to arranging the extradition of alleged bomb maker Abu Aguila Mohamed Massoud, who appeared in a U.S. court earlier this week to stand trial for his, again, alleged role in the 1988 bombing of a Pan Am flight over the Scottish city of Lockerbie. Dabiba has been taking criticism all week under the assumption, proven correct, that he was responsible for Massoud's extradition. He justified the decision uh, to turn Masood over to Western authorities as an attempt to uh, more or less absolve Libya itself as a nation uh, from responsibility or from blame for the bombing. I didn't entirely understand. I got to be honest with you what he was saying. It was very uh, much politician speak. Uh, but but basically, he sa it sounds like he's trying to uh, shed the collective responsibility that he feels Libya has been uh, accepting or has been under uh, for that bombing. So, uh, you know, more power to him, I guess. Good luck. 
uh, in Burkina Faso amid the U.S.-Africa summit that's currently taking place in Washington, about which I will have more to say in tomorrow's newsletter. Uh, Ghanaian President Nana Akufo Addo alleged on Wednesday that Burkina Faso's ruling junta has engaged the surface, services of Russia's Wagner Group private military company, turning a gold mine over to Wagner's control in return for sending mercenaries to help deal with Burkina Faso's jihadist violence crisis. Uh, there's no confirmation of Akufo Addo's claim although the junta did issue a new mining contract to a Russian firm earlier this month, so that is at least an interesting coincidence. Uh, if these claims are true, then it means Burkina Faso is going down the same road that Mali's ruling junta uh, went down uh, starting about a year ago, uh, contracting with Wagner while mostly severing its relationship with relationships with European countries that had previously been conducting peacekeeping and or counterterrorism operations there. Uh, no Notably, Wagner's arrival in Mali has coincided with a rise in allegations of human rights violations and an overall worsening of the jihadist crisis, though on the plus side, it's likely that Wagner and its friends, uh, whether in Mali or elsewhere, have made a lot of money along the way. Um, uh, this may also confirm... Uh, speculation that one of the motives behind the Ibrahim Traoré-led coup against Burkina Faso's previous junta, which took place, of course, back in September, was in part motivated by a desire to engage Wagner's services. Uh, in the Central African Republic, speaking of countries that have chosen Wagner over European alternatives, uh, the last French soldiers who had been deployed to the Central African Republic left that country on Thursday. Uh, the French military has had personnel in the CAR since 2013, though it substantially reduced its presence in 2016. Uh, the Central African government has increasingly turned toward Russia and or Wagner for support against the country's myriad rebel groups. Uh, the French government had cut its presence to just a few dozen personnel in response to this Russian involvement. So this final departure isn't really going to make much of a difference on the ground. Uh, it's more of a symbolic demonstration uh, of the French government's irritation at being spurned by a former colony. Uh, in Europe, uh, and specifically dealing with Russia, after days of discussions, the European Union has reportedly come to an internal agreement on a ninth tranche of Russian sanctions. Details are not yet available as I write this, or as I speak it, I guess, now that I'm speaking it. Uh, but there may be more to say about this tomorrow. Uh, elsewhere, Barak Ravid for Axios reports that Russian pressure has so far convinced UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres not to investigate whether or not the Iranian government is providing drones to the Russian military. If Iran is providing Russia with drones, as there seems to be a fair amount of evidence suggesting that it is, uh, that arguably violates UN Security Council Resolution 2231, which is the 2015 document that codified the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, it would be something of a blow to Russian credibility for whatever that's worth uh, if it were shown to be receiving Iranian arms in violation uh, of a resolution it helped to pass, the Russians helped to pass. Uh, part of the issue... Uh, in terms of this investigation involves a question uh, around whether Guterres has the power to order an investigation uh, without a Security Council authorization vote, a vote that the Russians would obviously veto. Uh, there is pre precedent that suggests that he does, but for obvious reasons, the Russians strenuously disagree. 
In Ukraine, a Ukrainian brigadier general, Alexei Gromov, told reporters on Thursday that the Russian military is hunkering down for a long war. He suggested that Moscow still harbors designs on conquering all of Ukraine, despite everything that's transpired over the past nine-plus months. Uh, it's unclear on what basis he's reached the latter conclusion. The former doesn't really seem like much of a stretch. Uh, most of the fighting remains concentrated in eastern Ukraine, around Bakhmut and other parts of Donetsk Oblast, which were shelled by the Ukrainian military uh, on Thursday, although there have been reports of Russian shelling in Kherson and Zaporizhia Oblast as well. Uh, speaking of countries that are banking on a long conflict, uh, the U.S. military announced a new expanded training program for Ukrainian soldiers uh, on Thursday. That project will be run out of Germany. It will see some 500 Ukrainian soldiers at a time brought there to work on combined arms maneuvers and other advanced tactics. Now, in Poland, the Polish government is apparently delaying a European Union vote on a new package of financial aid to Ukraine and the adoption of a 15% global minimum corporate tax. These things had previously been held up by the Hungarian government, but you may recall uh, earlier this week, I believe on Monday, uh, the uh, government, the Hungarian government and the EU cut a deal under which the Hungarians dropped their hold in return for some assurances regarding EU funds previously earmarked for Hungary that had been frozen uh, or have been frozen are still frozen due to a rule of law dispute. It just so happens that Poland is in the midst of a similar dispute with the EU. Uh, so there's a good chance that Polish officials are seeking to cut a similar deal to the one Hungary received. In Kosovo, uh, the Serbian government has formally asked, formally asked NATO uh, for permission to deploy security forces to the northern part of Kosovo amid ongoing tensions between Kosovan authorities and that region's majority Serb population. Serbian President Aleksandar Vucic acknowledged to state media on Thursday that the request is exceedingly unlikely to be uh, approved, but said he wants to have uh, NATO's rejection uh, on the record. Uh, in Slovakia, uh, the Slovak government lost a no-confidence vote on Thursday uh, with 78 members of the 150-seat parliament voting for its ouster. Uh, the outcome was not terribly surprising. This was a minority government that had lost uh, a good deal of support, so uh, it's not surprising that it lost this vote, but it does leave Slovak politics in limbo. Uh, Slovak President Zuzana Chaputova uh, will presumably ask uh, Edward Heger, the prime minister, to remain in place in a caretaker capacity while she tries to determine whether there's another candidate uh, among the party leaders that might be who might be able to form a government. Uh, it's more likely that Slovakia is headed to a snap election, one that polls suggest could favor the opposition, which could have repercussions beyond Slovakia, as some opposition figures. Uh, some Slovak opposition figures have expressed some reticence about the European Union's support for Ukraine and its sanctions against Russia. So this could complicate things at the EU in terms of uh, how it's managing the Ukraine war. In the Americas, uh, in Peru, the Peruvian Supreme Court ruled on Thursday that former President Pedro Castillo can be held for up to 18 months in pretrial detention as prosecutors attempt to put a case together on rebellion charges. Uh, the court cited the risk of Castillo fleeing the country as justification for its ruling. Several Latin American governments have expressed support for Castillo, suggesting that he would have somewhere to go if he did decide to make a run for it. 
The Peruvian foreign ministry has recalled its ambassadors to four of those countries, Argentina, Bolivia, Colombia, and Mexico, for consultations after those governments issued a joint statement calling Castillo, quote, a victim of undemocratic harassment, end quote. At least 12 people have now died amid ongoing protests by Castillo supporters who have at times clashed violently with police. In Guyana, a man later identified as a Nigerian national engaged in a firefight with guards at Guyanese President Irfan Ali's residence on Thursday, seriously wounding one of them before being seriously wounded himself. There's no indication what motivated this attack, but Guyanese authorities have reportedly asked Interpol for help in trying to determine the attacker's background and whether he has any links to militant or criminal groups. In Honduras, the Honduran government and the UN signed a Memorandum of Understanding on Thursday that should see the formation of a new UN-run mission against corruption and impunity in Honduras. Uh, This would be similar to the Organization of American States-led mission to support the fight against corruption and impunity on Honduras, love these names, uh, which was active from 2016 until then-President Juan Orlando uh, Hernandez ended its mandate in 2020, uh, mostly because it had started investigating corruption involving Hernandez himself and his inner circle. We can't have that, can we? Uh, The UN and Honduras will still need to work out the details of the new commission and eventually sign a treaty establishing it, which uh, will probably take some months uh, to complete. In El Salvador, the Salvadoran Congress on Thursday voted to extend the country's state of emergency for at least another month. President Nayib Bukele requested the state of emergency in late March, ostensibly over high levels of gang violence, and it's been renewed every month since, despite widespread concerns that authorities are using the extra powers the emergency gives them to arrest political prisoners, restrict media outlets, and commit human rights abuses. Public support for the emergency measures is quite high, like 90% plus high, uh, mostly because Bukele's government has indeed achieved a substantial reduction in gang violence by its own measures. Uh, However, it is unclear, and there's a piece at World Politics Review on this, it's unclear how much the state of emergency itself has contributed to that reduction. Violence was already coming down prior to the emergency declaration, and there are other policies that Bukele's government has pursued that it's less interested in publicizing like negotiations with gang leaders uh, that may be contributing much more to the reduction in violence. It's certainly unclear whether uh, the state of emergency's impact has been worth the mass arrests and apparent rights violations. Finally, in the United States, uh, with the U.S. Senate passing a whopping $858 billion military budget for 2023, uh, the uh, responsible statecraft Stephen Semler Uh, wonders why the Pentagon's answer for inflation is so vastly different from the answer that the U.S. public is forced to accept. Uh, I'll just read you a bit here. The conference version of the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act that passed the House last week demonstrates that the United States has two distinct policy responses to inflation, one for the Pentagon and one uh, for the public. Uh, Any real or imagined drop in the Pentagon's buying power uh, is met with more money, Inflation formed. President Joe Biden's requested $31 billion boost from fiscal year 2022 to 2023. And the issue is Congress's primary justification for upping that proposed increase to $76 billion. If enacted into law, the NDAA will spike military spending to $858 billion in fiscal year 2023, excluding, this doesn't even include, supplemental funding for Ukraine military aid, putting even peak Cold War era Pentagon budgets to shame. 
The public gets a much different treatment. In inflationary times, Biden and most of Congress think that the Pentagon should get more money and the public should get less. Pandemic relief programs were ended in an ill-fated attempt to curb rising costs. Now, now nearly two-thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. For most workers, real wages have failed to keep up with inflation over the past year. While Biden endorsed the NDAA's historic top-line figure, he hasn't proposed any legislation that would lend the public a hand during a spiraling cost of living crisis. In other words, not only for the Pentagon is federal spending considered a solution to inflation. Non-military spending, meanwhile, is routinely blamed for causing inflation, despite there being far more relevant culprits like corporate greed, the war in Ukraine, Western sanctions on Russia, and the seismic disruptions to the global supply chain caused by the pandemic. Uh, so on that note, uh, we will uh, call it a night here. Thanks to all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter. Uh, thanks to those of you who are subscribed, uh, whether as uh, free subscribers, uh, checking the place out, or those of you who have made the jump to paid subscribers and are making it possible for me to continue doing this. Uh, we may or may not be running a little holiday sale, so if anybody is thinking about making the jump, this is a this may or may not be a good time uh, to do that. I cannot confirm or, nor deny, uh, but if you are thinking about it, uh, you know, please do give it some thought because uh, the newsletter can't go on without uh, without paid subscribing support. Uh, so on that note, um, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.